Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. After the last regular season game for the Carolina Panthers, and really no need to say regular season, the last one for the 2022-2023 year as the Panthers, they end up winning against the New Orleans Saints 10-7. We're here to talk about it all today on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We'll take you up until 3 o'clock. Then it's Kyle Bailey, Smoke Ludwig, with the Kyle Bailey Show. And you can text us on the Garage Door Guru text line at 704-570-9610. And as we often discuss here on the Monday following the regular season, we're discussing a lot of coaches that have been fired or that are going to be fired and we're already here. Oh, that's how we do it. The earliest news bump that we've ever had in Wesson Walker history. What do we got over there, Fitty? Well, a, a firing that I think we saw coming even when he got an extension last year after making the playoffs and losing in, in the wild card round. The Arizona Cardinals have fired head coach Cliff Kingsbury after four seasons. He was 28-37-1 as their head coach. Um and so he he has been fired. Their GM, Steve Kime, a guy who's gotten a lot of criticism, right now he's on a health-related leave of absence. You would imagine that maybe when he comes back, he might also be coming back to a pink slip as well. But that already makes it – we have Kingsbury tonight or this morning. Lovey Smith got fired. Immediately, you know, pretty much. Well, it was late last night when it came official. Right. But, you know, we expect seven to eight openings around the NFL. We got an early start this morning with Kingsbury out in Arizona. And if you want to include Matt Rule in that as the first coach fired, Steve Wilkes having taken care of Carolina to a 500 record the rest of the way. But Matt Rule, the first original head coach coming in, that was let go. So we're off and rolling on Black Monday. We'll see exactly how many other coaches are fired as the show goes on because we're really in the I mean basically it would be Mac and Bone Charlotte Sports Today kind of in the primetime spot so are we if there are other coaches that are let go from their franchise and by the way remember the Cardinals yesterday they said that Cliff Kingsbury would be speaking to the media today at some point I, I think they gave a timeout but somebody else pointed out that they said the same thing about Steve Wilkes when he was the head coach with Arizona, and then eventually they didn't bring him back. So mm. Arizona not allowing any of those coaches to have any time speaking. Just real quickly on the Kingsbury thing, what an awful situation from the get-go, and one of the bigger coaching decisions, the coaching hires that 
only made sense from a Kyler Murray standpoint because of the reported close relationship between the two, but not because of the football prowess coming into the league. No, not at all. He was definitely one of the coaches I felt that uh, did not deserve a job at all. The guy Would you use a word win. like privilege? Oh, no doubt about it. Like I said, I mean, but Kyler Murray really got him that job. Uh, that was one of the keys, yeah. like you said. And then just the fact that, you know, he had done nothing to get that job, and it just had to be a slap in the face of all – all the candidates, really, but mostly right. the minority candidates for a guy like Cliff Kingsbury to have a marginal college head coaching career and then get an NFL head coaching job. It was one of the more befuddling hires in recent memory. Also, a couple of firsts. I don't think anybody said befuddling on the yes, show. And yes, we also yes. have not had as early a news break in the show as we just did with the Kingsbury firing. Now, you mentioned it, right? The reason that is connected here, it's because of the way that Steve Wilkes felt like he was dealt a raw deal with the Cardinals having only one season and then you only had Josh Rosen who turned out to be not a very good quarterback in the NFL right. bouncing for uh, you know between a whole bunch of different franchises and that team was not built to win at that time this team I don't know how well they've been built Scott Fitterer that's kind of another question we'll have about whether he's going to be the starting GM, starting GM, the GM, the permanent GM going <laughs> forward. You know, we got we we have the backup GM. We have Fitty Scott Fitterer is the starter over there with Carolina, but I expect him to be back. And I don't know about Steve Wilkes. It's really 50 50 after this win against the Saints. It's not like we're leaving this game, West, feeling phenomenal about the Carolina Panthers. I mean, there are a lot of fans that would rather have seen them lose in order to help them get a higher draft pick. Now, in the end, it's not a huge difference, but still, losing this last game would have helped them just a little bit more. They still do have a top 10 pick. Lots of possibilities, lots of individual storylines to focus on. So we'll get to it all, and what better way to start than getting off the bus? Let's do it right now. Open the doors, Fiddy. We look good getting <laughs> off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! So we already talked about it. The Carolina Panthers, they get the win. I got to be honest with you, though. It, it felt ugly. It felt weird. It feels weird to describe this game as a victory because of how bad the Panthers offense was. The defense was good enough and it didn't get off to a great start after Josh Norman got burnt by Chris Alave, one of the up and coming receivers in this league. He was awesome, especially on that route scoring the touchdown there. But after that, there wasn't a whole lot of offense to go around whatsoever. Eventually, Eddie Pinheiro, a kicker that they stuck with even after the debacle against the Atlanta Falcons earlier this season he ends up coming up with a game winning field goal at the very end what are some of your main takeaways from watching carolina win the last game of the season to eventually say we're a seven and ten football team i mean i just couldn't believe it when i was watching the game <laughs> you know i mean i was like what am i watching the fact that the panthers only have five passing completions 32 passing yards and then the way new orleans started the game off going straight down the field and scoring you thought the Panthers might be in a little bit of trouble, and then that is all of the scoring that we would get. And so it was just an absolute ugly football game to watch. I guess the purists might like it and call it a defensive football game, but it was just an ugly uh, football game, man. And so uh, I just was still just so shocked that the Panthers were able to win it. But they won it nonetheless. They found a way to get it done, 
And here we are. Yeah, um, not great quarterback play in this one. Sam Darnold, 43 yards and two interceptions. Andy Dalton was better despite a pedestrian stat line of 170 yards, only one touchdown. It was the only touchdown that they would score all game long. So offensively challenged were both of these teams. We only saw, West five completions. Terrace Marshall had two of them, had the long 21-yard reception, and then the next longest reception you would have is the DJ Moore 10-yard catch. I mean, that is as bad a passing performance as you really could ask for. And man, what a awful time to come up with such a bad passing performance from one Sam Darnold, where we discuss this being one of the most important individual storylines. Could Sam Darnold hold on to the starting quarterback spot heading into the offseason and into the next regular season? If you subscribe to the what have you done for me lately theory, man, you hadn't done a whole lot, especially with a 43-yard total with two INT. Right, but this is the thing I've been saying. Were we really surprised? I mean, about Sam Darnold. At some point, no matter how much you trust him, no matter how much he gets your hopes up, he's going to do these type of things. And those interceptions, uh, especially the first one, that was a clean pocket. Like, he did not have to make that bad of a throw. Maybe he didn't see uh, Honey Badger sitting there. Maybe, you know, whatever the case. But just Sam Donald being Sam Donald, that's why you can't trust him going forward as your starting quarterback. He just makes too many head-scratching throws uh, during the course of game. There's no doubt about it, but the other individual storyline here is Steve Wilkes finishing the season 500. While we might not have thought Carolina had too much to play for, Steve Wilkes had every incentive to try to win this game. And you saw it in the post-game yesterday. You saw it in the locker room, how thrilled he was, despite it being so ugly, that they were able to finish because that's a part of their DNA that has been their mantra this entire season under a new head coach in Steve Wilkes and I give him a lot of credit for that no it was an awful victory I don't know how much as as crazy as that may sound I don't know how much credence you give to well I want to see that going again and again right the only thing you want to see is the win I don't really want to see the rest of the numbers that come with it yet they're able to finish they go 500 Wes, there's not too many interim coaches that finish 500 or above. There's very few. We did see Basashia do it last year with the Raiders at 7-5, but even then only one game better record than this year's interim coach with Steve Wilkes. What say you on the potential of him getting that permanent job? Well, I say that he should get the job. You know, we we, um, we talked about this on the reel that we put on our socials, Wes and Walker, W-E-S-A-N-D-W-A-L-K-E-R, and on all the WFNC socials, all that good stuff. But anyway, um, I just say, because my main thing is, unless you find a flash candidate that has a great name and a great resume, uh, I don't know what a candidate would have over him at this point. And then, like I said, the intangibles, him being a Charlotte guy, uh, the great storylines that come with that, him battling through uh, catching a raw deal in Arizona. So I think that for me, uh, the intangibles also, uh, you know, personality-wise, the CEO aspects of him and also the way that, you know, he rallied this team late in the season. I just don't know what another candidate, if you want to go out and get a hot coordinator, what they would have over him at this point. Biddy, this is a topic that you actually kind of flipped your mind on at the beginning of the season as the takeover happened, the transition between Rule and Wilkes. You were not necessarily a fan, especially in the early going, but what you saw from this squad that got off to an awful start under Matt Rule, you finished 500 and you've actually become a fan and you think Steve Wilkes should be the permanent head coach. Yeah, no, when you go back to the day that Rule was fired and Wilkes was named the interim, I thought that disaster was still on the horizon for Carolina. I didn't think this team 
was going to improve the way they did under him because I saw what he was in Arizona. Well, Arizona's a bad, dysfunctional organization, and he got a raw deal. This guy can lead. This guy can motivate. He showed levels of game management that Matt Rule never showed in his two and a half years in the NFL. I think he's the type of guy that you got to have good coordinators around for him to be the best, you know, the best version of himself as a head coach. And I know the Panthers are going to interview Jim Caldwell and Frank Wright, but unless right. those guys blow David Tepper's doors off, you've got a pretty much sure thing with this roster in your building right now. It'd be hard for me to not give this man the full-time head coaching I'm, job. I'm glad you said doors off. There's a little bit of a pause. I could have made that extremely dirty, but I'm glad you said doors off <laughs> as we moved on there. But you're right. Frank Reich and Jim Caldwell now in the conversation. And those are two proven coaches. And maybe you want to put an eyebrow raise to Frank Reich, but he did some good things with that Colts organization. You just could never find a quarterback. That ultimately still is a question. Whether you think it's answered with Sam Darnold or not, it's still a question that other people are going to have different oh! answers. Oh, it's a record. The, the news cycle, it does <laughs> not stop. Fiddy, what you got for us? Well, we're going back to Arizona. Steve Kime may be on that leave of absence. He's now officially stepped away. So we now a head coaching and a GM vacancy now in Arizona. So you can imagine full-blown rebuild after just paying Kyler Murray all that money. It seems like that, that organization is going through a massive re reshuffle this offseason. What, what, what an awful situation that's been. All the chaos, all the drama. So another team we forgot to mention, by the way, with another vacancy, it's going to be the Denver Broncos. Mm. They already put their request to interview a D'Amico Ryans, amongst others. So there are a lot of teams right now that are going to be going after Sean a very similar uh, pool of candidates. Sean Payton, absolutely. And Sean Payton with Russell Wilson. As bad as Russell Wilson was this year, Sean Payton has earned the benefit of the doubt with what he's been able to accomplish in the National Football League. Plenty of other breaking news sounders, I'm sure, coming the rest of the way during Wes and Walker. What do we make of Steve Wilkes' chances of getting the job? What did he have to say after the season ended yesterday? We'll play some of that audio coming up next on Sports Radio 92.7 FM. One less than we thought to answer Kyle's question coming in. How many games have the Hornets lost? Well, we thought they might go 0-2 over the weekend, but they destroyed Milwaukee on Friday. Really surprising victory. Not necessarily that they won because they actually played Milwaukee pretty well. If you go look at recent history, they won two straight just last season. LaMelo Ball has been special, but going for close to 140. Wes, I know you were texting us on Friday saying if they lose after a 51-point quarter where they eventually score over 80 in the first half, that would have been an awful one, but they held on to the lead and dominated. Yeah, I was behind a little bit because, you know, I started watching the game late, and then when I saw the alert come in that they had scored 51 in the quarter, I said, no, 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 let me start this game back over so I can see what's going on. And so I watched it, man. I mean, they were just, it was almost like a TV show. They could have been sitting in the bleachers eating popcorn, talking to a girl and put a <laughs> shot up and it would have went in. I mean, they were hitting everything they wanted, 84 first half points. And then Giannis, I mean, we talked about the stats lines that he puts together just last week and then nine points, two or seven. I mean, how often will you see that? He probably won't have another game like that for a year or two. Yeah, two made field goals for Giannis in this game. Yeah, two of man. seven. And the box score is weird because you see a lot of their starters, I think three of the five, 
they don't even log 20 minutes of game time because the game was over pretty immediately. And so they're resting. I don't even think Drew Holiday got to 20 minutes. And you see their bench. Bobby Portis destroying the Hornets is inevitable. He scored 19 in this past game, going 7 of 10, double-digit rebounds. The previous two contests, he had at least 20 points. So Bobby Portis is going to get you. Other than that, the fact that Giannis didn't, that was absolutely incredible. Fiddy, I know you had some comments about this game, too. Yeah, no, you mentioned that they played really tough. The, the, the Hornets beat them twice last year. Oh, I know where this is going. Do you think that Steve Clifford just pulled up the game, the footage of last year, and wondered how one James Borrego designed <laughs> such, a, such an attack to give the Milwaukee Bucks so much trouble? And maybe that was why? They won the game. Maybe James Borrego's imprint on the organization showing through against one of the East or the Eastern Eastern Conference higher powers. Because I mean, it's the only thing I could really think of why right. the Hornets played so well. JB retroactively winning games, not even retroactive from beyond, from out of the organization. That was a big victory for JB. Matt Rule tried to take credit for some of those wins that happened after. Yeah, he so left. why not JB? Why not JB? Appreciate we. Th- this is what we do, right? We'll appreciate all of the guys that leave the city for professional sports teams, and then we'll give them credit afterwards, even acknowledging there was a reason that some of these guys left. I know some people would disagree about James Borrego. All right, you can text us and share your thoughts about the Hornets, anything you want to, the Carolina Panthers, on our Garage Door Guru text line. And you can text us at 704-570-9610. A night no number wrote in, said Wilkes made the decision a lot harder by not beating Tampa and getting us into the postseason or getting us giving us a chance to get into the postseason. I think he was the obvious choice that had to happen, but I'm still wary of unproven coordinators. We know Wilkes could have us compete for division titles at the minimum is what that 980 number said. Simon says, wrote in, so far the case for Wilkes getting the job had boiled down to he's a good leader and he's better than Matt Rule. Sorry, guys, that's just not good enough. Give me Frank Reich or Jim Caldwell all day over Steve Wilkes. And those two names are referenced because we do know Carolina is going to interview both of those candidates. And Steve Wilkes, by the way, as reported by Joe Person of The Athletic, Steve Wilkes will get his interview on Tuesday. So I think valid points, right? When we discuss the case for Steve Wilkes, there is more of this this authority type of uh, success we give to him where he's just overseeing everything saying, all right, this is how the offense is operating. Cool. Ben McAdoo, make sure you're doing your thing. All right. Al Holcomb's got this taken care of. Cool. Like there, there's not, I, I think with the game plan, we can see the identity that they embodied running the football at all costs. And if they weren't having success, then they weren't going to win the football game. The best time we've ever seen the offense operate. It was actually in this last game against Tampa for a while when the running when the running game wasn't going, that was the best we had seen the offense. But Wes, they still lost, right? I mean, at the end of the day, Sam Darnold came up with a bad throw to Stephen Sullivan, didn't throw into the end zone, and it was an interception. And we saw what happened against the Saints. They won, but often I wouldn't call that an, a success offensively for them. So, what do you make about like trying to create the case for Steve Wilkes, and also understanding if you want to go in a different way, if you want to go a different route, because Frank Reich has had success offensively, and it's because of his game plan and what he brought to a Colts organization. Yeah, those are the points that some of the texters brought up as far as you know, at, at bare bones, what are the mm-hmm. qualities that you bring him in for? Because that Tampa loss was a huge one. You talk about the fact that they needed to win that game to get into the playoffs. And so you can kind of use that 
as an indictment against him, if you will. Uh, the Jim Caldwell is kind of that's intriguing because you know he did take a Detroit team to the playoffs that had been you know we know what the Detroit Lions represent in that lane. And I think that, you know, we talked about last week, the African-American players, African-American community, how they will feel if Wilkes does not get this job. Well, I think that gets, and not that it's truly 100% what matters, but I think that erases some of it if you bring Caldwell in. Uh, But to me, he's another coach that caught a raw deal. But I think, you know, if you want to go in either of those two directions, I mean, it's cool, but I am a new blood kind of guy. And I think that those two coaches are good in their own rights. But I feel like, you know, Wilkes to me is still a new coach, in in my opinion, because of what happened in Arizona. I think they brought him in pretty much lame duck status, just like we see with what the Houston Texans are doing, which is utterly ridiculous. So I think that Wilkes, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I I would not necessarily hire those two over Wilkes. Yeah, I understand what people feel because a, a 980 number wrote in, I'm afraid we're settling with Steve Wilkes. Maybe he's good, but we need to be better than good. Uh, honestly, I'd like to just get to good, to be honest with you right now. And that's not, I mean, it's been five years since they've reached the postseason. This is one of the longer droughts. I think it's tied yeah. for the longest postseason drought that Carolina's ever had. Second longest. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So is it six years? That was the first one. Okay, I didn't know it was that long, but yeah, still same point, right? I mean, we feel it's been a long time and the Carolina Panthers have actually had some success. This is not even even with their young history, like this is one of the younger franchises in all of the NFL. They've been to two Super Bowls. You know, they're not they don't have the richest tradition in the world, but it's not like the Hornets, right? I mean, the Hornets, they've never even reached the conference finals. This is not some lowly Carolina Panthers team all the time. This is a fan base that's actually had some things to brag about before. You do get to the Super Bowl. You do get to conference championship games. You do not have these long droughts most of the time, and you are able to reach the postseason. You're able to win a couple of NFC South titles, three in a row in that Ron Rivera era, despite a a losing record there. And so when you've undergone this for so long, I understand people still feeling that, what that 980 number just texted in, that we need to be better than good. Because maybe a good coach gets you contending for the postseason and then one spot here and there, but you want to be one of the better teams in the NFC. Uh, To me, Wes, I think if you look at the first five weeks, right, it was awful under Matt Rule. I understand this might land into the category of, hey, he's better than Matt Rule, so let's go after him. I, I get that, but you scored 24 points against Cleveland, and under Matt Rule, you wouldn't score more than that the rest of the way. 16 against the New York Giants, 22 against the Saints, 16 against Arizona, 15 against San Fran. Matt Rule is gone. You have one week to prepare with P.J. Walker, mind you, as your starting QB, And you only scored 10 points against the Rams. That was on the road, West Coast. Then you come back with one of the more inexplicable wins I can remember for this team, having P.J. Walker start again. The game after they were scared to death to let that guy throw the football. And P.J., I know I get made fun of it, but the only reason I get made fun of it because I gave him so much credit because what P.J. did is is crazy. He played like a Hall of Famer that day. Five big-time throws, according to PFF, throwing touchdowns at Rondon. Like, it was nuts what P.J. did, and of course, he would never do that again. And you score 34 against Atlanta. You score 25 against the Falcons again. You score 30 against Seattle. You score 37 against the Detroit Lions. This was an offense that operated better. And remember how many people were calling for Ben McAdoo's head. Under Steve Wilkes, for some reason, that marriage worked between the two. 
Now, I'm not married to keeping Ben McAdoo. I would love to have a different offensive coordinator in here, and I think that would ease a lot of people with Steve Wilkes being the HC, is if you got a really smart OC to come in. So we'll see exactly what would happen there, a lot of the guys that he would name to his staff. But I think that the players respect him. I think that actually carries a lot more weight than people realize. You you talk to coaches all the time. So much of it is just getting guys to buy in and play hard. They did that at the beginning of this game. Guys weren't executing well. The offense was atrocious, this one, no doubt. But I'm not going to sit here and say they didn't play hard. I'm not going to sit here and say that, at least defensively, they were able to execute as the game went on. So, for me, I think Steve Wilkes has done enough to earn this job. And some of the other candidates are just fine as well. Steve Wilkes, though, going 500 with this squad, with a team that he was not supposed to be the head coach of, I think he's done a really good job. Yeah, I do think he's done a good job. I mean, he did. The difference is because... You know, NFL players have to play hard. It's their job. If they want their checks, they have to play hard. So we know that. But it felt like an immediate shift in culture. And mm-hmm. I think that was the bigger thing that you saw. Um, just a people ragged on Rue for not running the ball. Uh, people thought that the offense would get a little bit too finesse at times. And it was like as soon as Wilkes stepped in, immediately they went from the perception of a finesse team to a hard-nosed football team almost overnight. And I think that was huge. And I think that's one thing people are uh, overlooking as well because we've seen a lot of those type of teams uh, win in this football league. I mean, my 49ers are a pretty hard-nosed football team when you talk about defense running the ball. They do it in a you know different type of way as far as creativity, but yet and still at, a, at the crux of it, that's what it is. And we've seen that win in this league a lot. We've seen more of tough, hard-nosed win than we've seen – Finesse win. So uh, I think that was one thing that, that went in Wilkes' favor uh, as well. Yeah, and a couple of people backing the Steve Wilkes potential decision. 704 number wrote in, Wilkes at 6-6, six and six, even after trading CMC, is way beyond my wildest expectations. And last ninth pick was Luke Keekley. So let's roll if we're just going to get another Luke Keekley in here. I wish it was that easy. Um, Logo704 brought up something I kind of wanted to talk about too. Wilkes has earned at least one season. He deserves a chance. Not the chance part about that. It's the one season part of it. So if you're David Tepper, I don't think you operate clearly. You don't operate the same way you did contract length wise with Steve Wilkes like you did Matt Rule. You're not coming in and giving Steve Wilkes a seven-year deal. I think if you're David Tepper, then give him two years. And if it's not working out, then you move on. But I think... You almost you kind of get one more year, and I, I you know the other argument is that this was not his team. You you want to give him an off season, you want to give him a training camp, and even without all that stuff, you were still able to get guys to buy in and adapt to a different type of mentality and get guys to adapt to a different type of style. Losing out on that off season and training camp and five games in the season that matters. And Steve Wilkes still got guys to play at least five hundred football. So you give them all of that. Maybe maybe you don't consider this the first season. Maybe you do consider next year the first season for Steve Wilkes. But you're not giving him some long contract where it's going to hurt if you have to move on from him so early. I think I think that's a good idea if that is the route that this owner wants to take. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think the interesting thing that we will see next season is I feel like, you know, they talk about the CMC trade. And for sure, I thought that they may win one or two games after they traded CMC. So a lot is to be said about what he came in and did in those respects. It's just as far as a perception of what you thought they would be and what they turn into. It's just going to be the key is, you know, next season, 
There's no more interim. There's no more surprising people. Teams are going to be ready for the Panthers. Teams are going to be well-versed in what it is that they want to do. And I think that's going to be the tale of the tape because it's one thing to go through, you know, the rest of the season that's kind of flying by the seat of your pants and just with nothing to lose because that was the mentality. They were playing with house money this year. But I think if Wilkes get this, gets this job with the way that they finish down the stretch next season, people are going to be expecting them to get into postseason play, especially if 12 leaves Tampa Bay. People are going to expect the Panthers to get to the playoffs. And so I think that's a whole different animal when you come into a season with expectations, teams being ready for you on what it is that you want to do, and then we'll really see his chops as a head coach, in my opinion. Yeah, and I don't know what kind of contract Steve Wilkes would accept, mind you. So, you know, you do have to have two people to tango in this situation, for sure. So I'm not sure. But I do wonder, like, this matters more to Steve Wilkes getting this specific job than it does another head coaching NFL franchise, right? If you're coaching, I don't know, Cleveland Browns, whatever NFL franchise you want to go to, you know, Arizona was it the first time, but here you are in Carolina. Uh, This is the city he grew up in. I think that has to matter to him. Not saying that he should, should take less money. You should get as much as you possibly can. I just wonder if he eventually would because of how much the city and this team matters to him as well. Granny Pat wrote into the text line, Boys, now you know the first half was pure doo-doo. I like Wilkes and want him to get the job for two years at least. I don't want Harbaugh. Can't stand him. That's Granny Pat writing okay, in. Granny so, Pat has spoken. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and see Prince writing this in. We'll, we'll finish up on this. Um, we do need to get some audio as well. I think people are overlooking the Panthers' thoughts on Wilkes. The Panthers players' thoughts on Wilkes, excuse me. There's something going on with this team, and Wilkes is the catalyst. I can never remember so many players speaking out in support. Ron Rivera had the backing of the locker room. It's one thing that if it was thrown out during the time of his firing, absolutely not true. Those players wanted Ron Rivera back. They respected the hell out of him. And I understood David Tepper's reasoning to move on. Like, that was fine. You know, he gave him some time. It didn't work out. Defensively, they started a tank as well. And they moved on from him. I know you don't necessarily put a whole lot of power into the players saying they want Steve Wilkes here, Mm -hmm. but even besides that point, Wes, one of the pieces of evidence I think for Wilkes to get the permanent job is the fact that a lot of players played better under Steve Wilkes, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can look at it from a schematic standpoint and maybe not be able to point to something he does a lot better than Frank Reich. Maybe we can't point to him and say he does all of this better their teams aren't organized as well defensively as the D'Amico Ryans. And that would be an excellent candidate, too, if you wanted to go after him. But we did see individual growth from these players that came in. Think about how much more production you got from Sam Darnold. Yes, a better offensive line, but they also had to remember to switch it up at the starting center spot. Like Pat Elfline, crazy enough, was playing pretty well at the beginning of the season. And then Bradley Bozeman comes in, and he's one of the better run-blocking centers in all of the NFL. And so you adapt to your personnel. And I think that's something you always want to see from head coaches, coordinators, whoever is in a position of authority when it comes to personnel. You saw players play better. Frankie Louvu continued that excellence this season. And Terrace Marshall, let's just go to the offense. I mean, T- DJ Moore got more involved when Sam Darnold entered into the fold and Terrace Marshall and Deontay Foreman finally got run and he started playing better. There's quite a few individual players that got better as the year went on. And that was on Steve Wilkes' watch. Well, I think that, Some of that is at play, but I also think some of it goes to the fact that once you fire a head coach, I think everybody's on notice at that point. 
players, coaches, everybody in the building is on notice that you can be gone once the head coach is gone. And I think that plays into the players' mentality, too, when they're getting out there. Yes, they're getting a chance. Yes, they're getting more opportunities than they got before. But for some of these guys, I don't know if I go as far as to say now or never, but we know for a lot of these guys, it's right now. People want to see, can you play right now? And if you cannot, you're going to be gone. And I think that plays into a lot of guys' improvement. I'm doing air quotes as well. I do think, like I said, they do they did feel some belief from Wilkes. But I think for a lot of these guys, the Terrence Marshalls, the, the Deontay Foremans, and guys like that that are finally getting their chance, they know that, hey, if I don't make the most out of this, I'm either going to be reduced to marginal roles the rest of my career or I'm going to be out of this league. And so I think that plays into it as well. All right, let's go and finish up with the quote from Steve Wilkes just earlier today discussing how truly proud he is the way that his team finished. I'm truly proud of the men in that locker room and how we finished. We talk about it all the time, being part of our DNA, the physicality and the effort, uh, being number one, playing smart, and most importantly, the last one is finished. So in all three phases, the guys showed up today. We've dealt with so much different, as I always talk about, don't allow it to get in the way, so many different it's throughout the uh, course of the year. But those guys will circle the wagons and once again find a way to come together and win a football game is extremely impressive. Yeah, I mean, they, they had a lot of incentive. The players, it's the old adage when it comes to the tanking era of sports. It's that the players aren't the ones tanking. The head coach in this situation certainly because he doesn't know if he's going to get the permanent job. So he wants every piece of evidence possible in his back pocket. So they were able to get that victory. They finished 500 and Steve Wilkes will have to wait and see if he will be the permanent head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Let's go to the first Fitty flash of the day before the campus corner. What you got, Fitty? Well, guys, last night, the final regular season game on Sunday night football, it was win and in for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, but it went a little something like this. Here's a blitz. Can Rodgers beat it? Big ball downfield, and it is intercepted by Kirby Joseph. Joseph out of bounds around the 45. He's got Rodgers for the third time, and the Packers are in major trouble. Green Bay would go on to lose the game at home on the frozen tundra that is Lambeau Field. Still a great call by Bill Rosinski. 20-16 to 16 and miss out on the playoffs altogether. And Wes actually sent a text last night, and I've got the foul line pulled up in case we got to go to it. <laughs> I couldn't think of a better way for the NFL regular season to come to an end. A game that was made for Aaron Rodgers to win. A game that was officiated for Aaron Rodgers yeah. to win. And in a big game at home in historic Lambeau Field, <laughs> he couldn't get the job done. And that's what his career should be remembered as. A guy that could not get the job done in big moments at home. I hope he retires and starts a miserable retirement. Ooh, I have started off this show a few times in the past two weeks saying your relationship is starting to break. It is rocky and it would start like that. <laughs> That is not the case today because even coming into this last night in the group text, I have never seen two people have more joy over someone's <laughs> failure. Yeah. Like the and both he of is you a did failure. when Aaron Rodgers threw yes. an interception and mm -hmm. lost the Detroit Lions. Oh, they couldn't have lost in a better way. When he threw that <laughs> interception, I said, what a fitting end <laughs> to such a failure. I mean, I get so tired of this guy. I mean, you know, great regular season player. Let me say that. 
But as far as this boogeyman mystique that he had for so long, and I wanted to tell people just shut the hell up, I was so glad last night that he did that. And as a 49er fan, as I said, I did not want to play the Packers because I was tired of sending him home. I was like, we got to send Aaron Rodgers home again. I didn't want to see that. Like I said, but big moments, always choking. Get him out of here. I listened to the clip last night when he cursed the center for not snapping the ball uh, a, a couple years ago, I guess it was. And I'm like, man, wh- wh- why didn't anybody stand up to him? I wish. If I have three wishes and a genie, I think I would probably, one of them would be to wish for more wishes. And if another one would be for me to be Aaron Rodgers' teammate so that I could pull up on him for talking crazy to me. If you weren't granted more than three wishes, which is pretty standard when you're asked that question, would you still use one of your two against Aaron Rodgers? I just might, just so I could pull up on him for saying something. If he ever talked to me like that, like he talked to that center, mm-hmm. I'm getting cut the next day because well, I'm pulling up on him. 100% it. because they're not cutting Aaron Rodgers. What, what's hilarious is oh. Wes could have been on a team with his guy, Tom Brady, because Tom Brady does that same thing. We saw it this year, and maybe he has more of a leg He's a way better guy. I got you. Way better. Way more of a guy. And but me and Brady would have a conversation too. And he gets don't don't get it twisted. Yeah, don't get it twisted. Me and Brady would have a combo too. I just I'm not getting it twisted. He'd get a who you talking to. Um (laughs) My dad weighed in personally texted me saying Rogers is still better than Romo. Hey dad, spell Rogers' name correctly, and then you can at me Mm. about the greatest quarterback (laughs) in Cowboys franchise history, okay? All right, right, Pop. You talking about Troy Aikman? Papa Fitty getting involved in the conversation. And just when I thought you guys were getting back together, Wes wanted to throw that in, a wrench into the relationship, <laughs> saying Troy Aikman is better. We'll get back to it, see if they can mend fences. It's Wes and Walker off and rolling. Sports Radio 92.7 FM. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Some dynamic producer ability, by the way. How many times do you think I remember to turn my mic on without you? Is it because I, I feel like I haven't done that today? Have you done it for me every single segment? No, you 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 started the show cutting okay. it on in the in the first segment. You cut it on too, but now like once the show, you just start talking into an into yeah. a microphone that's not cut on. Yeah, sometimes sometimes I hear it and then I stop and then I turn and nobody knows the wiser because it's me just turning it on after I decide to talk. But yeah, I appreciate that. Nice job. Dynamic producer. One Josh Fitty Marlowe. You know, I'm glad you trust me to cut your microphone on because there are other producer tasks that you don't trust me with. Don't and I'll just do leave this. It at that. We need to get to the campus corner. We can talk <laughs> about that specific thing coming up in the next hour. I was about ready to choke you in the pre-show meeting. That's exactly <laughs> what I was ready to do. Let's try to run through some of the college basketball games that we saw within the Carolinas. How about all four of the big four schools in Carolina this weekend were able to get that victory. Let's start with North Carolina, 81-64. to They beat Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish moved to 0-5 in conference play after that victory. I thought this was a game where North Carolina should have won. They should have won comfortably, and that's exactly what happened against the Fighting Irish that they were able to win by close to 20 points. Yeah, when we talked last week, I said that Carolina, which rolled out a small ball lineup against Wake Forest, I said it probably shouldn't be a lineup that starts or closes. Uh, scrap that. Their best starting five is Love, Davis, Trimble, Trimble looks Leakey, good, man. And Armando Bay caught at the five. And it's not about what they do on offense, even though their offense is a lot more efficient. Defensively, they can switch everything. Armando Baycott's become an adequate 
perimeter defender, um, and, and they just get after it more on the defensive end. And now they got a, that, that confidence is back cutting into tomorrow's showdown at Virginia. And the winner of that game will be perceived to be as the team to beat in the ACC. Caleb Love still a big part of that basketball team. Almost like a get-right game for him. Was 3 of 6 from the three-point line. Still not great efficiency. Did score 18 points, but at least the three-point shot was falling. And he took some deep shots against Notre Dame in this one. Nice to see him get back rolling along with Trimble's um, continued emergence. Yeah, and the Tar Heels as a team, they had 19 assists, 8 turnovers. We know that's a good recipe for them when they are passing the basketball at not passing it or giving it to the other team. And Armando Baycott just continuing to be the model of consistency. He had his 84th double-figure rebounding game. Mm. He's had 20 points and five, scored at least 20 points in five consecutive games. That's the longest streak of his career. So he is balling out of control. Armando. I feel a lot more, I feel a lot better about North Carolina putting together some consistent type play. I still feel going into any game that the other shoe can drop. I just, they've shown too many of the struggles at the beginning of the season, but I do feel better about this team. Mm. I know I had the panic soundbite because they lost four straight. It's not like I think this team is now going to the championship. We're not at that peak that we had pre-season expectation. You do feel a lot better about this squad. I don't feel a lot better about Duke despite Mm -hmm. the victory because they did get the win, but it was only by one point against Boston College, a 500 conference team and 500 overall team now coming in um, just one game above 500 into this game. And you look at some of the stat lines, Filipowski, who had been excellent all year long for, you know, a certain stretch, 15 points, but five of 14 from the field. And you're not getting any offensive production from Lively. Only three points from him off of the bench. 12 minutes logged here. West. Can't feel good about the Duke Blue Devils. Yeah, you can't at all because, like I said, the scoring just isn't there. They don't have that go-to guy. But listen, one thing has remained for the Blue Devils over the last 25 seasons. They've lost just six regular season games, about 20 or more. We know NC State put it on them the other night, but they're now 6-0 in the games to follow. So at least they bounced back, got the victory. Rebounding has been a key thing for them this year when they out-rebound their opponents. They're 11-1, and one, so they did that. That's the 12th time in 16 games that they've done so. And Derek Whitehead had a career-high 18 points as well. So I think the thing for Duke is them finding a guy or two to be their offensive stalwarts, the guy that they, the guys that they want to rely on, and then everybody else work off of that. Uh, but until then, like I said, offensively, just their shooting just still leaves a lot to be desired, and I think they're going to struggle uh, to beat a lot of teams until they can really get something going offensively. My biggest takeaway was I, I figured out why Anthony Grant coaches at a school that is sponsored by New Balance because <laughs> his, his final set to try to go win the game was completely terrible and it didn't really give his team a chance to get anything going towards the rim. Duke fans, you need to be calm. You need to be patient. We were in this exact same position last year as Carolina fans. There's too much talent for them to not figure it out. John Shire was mentored by the GOAT. He knows what he's doing. Whoa. It's going to take some time for it coming together. So if I'm a Duke fan, if I'm James from Maiden, and I'm coming out of my mom's basement, I'm still coming out there optimistic <laughs> that we're still going to be a really good basketball team. If you get to February 9th and they're not looking any better, then it might be then it might be time to panic. But right now, if I'm Duke fans, 
This is a part of the journey with a first-time head coach. All right, we'll go to the alma mater of one West Bryant. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons moved to above 500 in conference play, 11-5 and on the season. They beat Louisville over the weekend, 80-72. to Tyree Appleby, not a ton of points, only 13, but shot a little bit more efficiently from the field. Eight assists, though, from the lead guard there. You did have 21 from Monsanto, who continues to shoot extremely well from three-point line. And you also had Carr, only had five points, but he was a a hot name coming in the way that he had been able to play. What did you think of Wake Forest's victory into this one, West? Well, you failed to mention Cam, Cam Hildreth, 19 yeah. points and eight boys. But listen, this was a game they better have won, okay? That's correct. Uh, you, you can't go out here. <laughs> Louisville is one of the worst teams I can remember in ACC uh, memory. And so uh, they came out there and did what they were supposed to do. I mean, not much kudos to go around. You just did what you were supposed to do. They shot the ball well, 40% from three, 52%. Uh, from the field and the turnovers, you know, 11 of those to 14 assists. So you still want to improve there if you're the Deeks, but they got to win nonetheless. All right, NC State, another – I'm struggling with this one because it's a big victory for sure. They win 73-69 to over Virginia Tech. The Hokies were hosting the Wolfpack, so still a big-time win. But how worried are you if you're a Hokies fan? Because this is a team that came in as one of the teams we expected to finish towards the top of the ACC. They moved to 1-4 and four in conference play after this four-point loss. In the first half, they got beat by 14. Now, in the second half, it just wasn't enough as they did score 47 points. But the 22-point outing in the first 20 minutes, how worried are you if you're a Virginia Tech fan, Wes? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely worried. 1-4 and four in conference play. This was a team that came in and looked like they were ready to do work after they beat Kerry. Carolina coming off of that ACC tournament championship. So they're just not getting enough scoring, uh, you know, 16 point, 15 points off of their bench. But they just need to get some more scoring down there in Blacksburg. Uh, so things are, are not looking up for them. But, hey, kudos to my guy Kevin Keats at NC State, the pack, uh, getting a win, moving to 500 in conference play. Yeah, four straight losses once you get to conference play. You lost to Boston College on the road, Wake Forest on the road, Clemson at home, NC State at home. You're not even talking about games against Virginia, Duke, or North Carolina yet. How worried are you real quickly? Uh, it, to me, this said more, more about NC State than it did about Virginia Tech because that NC State went on the road and lost, oh, that's just typical NC State bleep. They didn't do that. And so I, it must be opposite today because I just was very positive very about where weird. Duke is. I'm hearing some very weird things from you. If I'm an NC State fan, you, you, you trounced Duke at home, then you went on the road and followed that. Maybe Kevin Keats has the right mixture of the type of guys that he wants, the type of guy he needs to coach the way that he wants to coach. And I've always said this. I want State to be good. That way when we kick their ass, it feels a lot better as opposed to when we beat a really bad basketball team. But, ba and I think that's what they are. I think they are a good basketball team. And I think that when we get into the the ACC tournament, this will be a team that will have NCAA tournament aspirations. Yeah, just last a uh, couple of things real quickly, just cleaning up some of the other local college basketball outings. Charlotte, the 49ers, they lost to a couple a couple of teams in Florida, FIU and FAU. They lose to the Panthers 62 to 60, they lose to the Owls 71 to 67, and even Queens, they lose to Kennesaw State, another team called the Owls. They lost 76 to 67. Uh Kennesaw State played extremely well. Why are you laughing at the Owls? I was going to make a bad Owl joke. Okay. Like they had a hoot of a time down in Florida. All right. I was going to say to save it and then use that as a tease for people to come <laughs> back, but I'm glad you just decided, you know what, we're not going to do that. Two more <laughs> hours to go. Weston Walkers, <laughs> Sports Radio 92.7 FM.